What if you could have more fulfillment and ease in your professional and personal life and still be ambitious? Join me, Kathy Onetto, founder of Sustainable Ambition, for conversations with experts, authors, and friends on what it means to live with sustainable ambition. Learn concepts, tips, and tools to craft a fulfilling career on your terms while still being ambitious and avoiding burnout. For show notes from this episode, visit sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Now, let's learn more to help you craft your career to support your life from decade to decade. On to today's conversation. All right, welcome back, everyone. I am so happy to be here today with Philip Van Dusen, my friend, mentor, and business colleague. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm so excited to talk with you today. And before we get started, everyone, let me first share a bit about Philip. So Philip Van Dusen is a creative entrepreneur and owner of Verhal Brand Design, a branding agency based in New Jersey. As a thought leader, Philip shares his expertise in marketing, design, and entrepreneurship on YouTube to his 200,000 subscribers. You heard that right. 200,000. Um, and he also shares his expertise in his brand muse newsletter on the brand design masters podcast and in his brand design masters, Facebook community. In his career, Philip has led creative teams on both the client and agency sides, serving as the VP of design for PepsiCo and Old Navy, and executive creative director at the iconic branding firm Landor Associates. And Philip's past clients have included a host of Fortune 100 companies. So Philip, I just read some pretty impressive titles and indicators of traditional measures of career success. And, you know, often people think that careers are straight lines. And while you have had a lot of success, for example, VP of design at Old Navy, at PepsiCo, you've made some shifts in your career over time as well. And, you know, for me, I think about managing careers over time is a bit like sailing. You know how you can tack back and forth, but you're making progress towards your ultimate destination. So I'm curious for you, looking back, what did you learn about making career transitions over time throughout your career? Yeah, I, you know, there's this quote. I was working with Paul Pressler, who used to be the CEO of Gap Inc., and we were having a conversation about careers. And he said, a great career is like more like a web than a ladder. And that has always stuck with me because a, a spider's web is, you know, it's got a lot of tacks back and forth, sometimes side jogs that that um, are completely lateral. And but all of those side jogs make the web stronger. Everything supports or leads to or um, kind of impresses something else. And so that's and my career <laughs> has been very much of a web shape rather than a ladder. I think your analogy in in sailing and the sailor too uh, is interesting because in tacking you're you're essentially zigzagging but you're kind of always going forward. I think in the web analogy sometimes you take a blind right turn and you're not really sure where it's going to go and it may give you 
an opportunity to then head straight forward again. And in my career anyway, that's been more kind of like how it's happened to me. In some cases, I've just taken advantage or, or, you know, taken an opportunity that presented itself that seems somewhat logical, or even sometimes I didn't exactly know where it was going to go, but it developed into something or it gave me a toolkit or exposure to something that led to some, something else. Could you give us an example of that? Yeah, sure. Um, when I was, uh, what I was, I started off, I mean, here we go. I started off as a fine artist. So I have my master's degree in painting of all things actually. And when I, um, I, I taught, um, in, um, in university and when I came back from a, a gig I had teaching in France, um, sounds more glorious than what it was. I moved to New York City and I started a t-shirt company and I put my little designs on t-shirts and I walked to the island of Manhattan with a little sample case and sold these t-shirts. And so I I kind of made, uh, I f- was trying to find a way to, to sell my work. And I, you know, I learned about sales. I learned about supply and demand. I learned about, you know, um, kind of inventory development and all that sort of stuff and design. And I realized that I really loved putting my artwork on shirts and then being able to see them walking around on people's chests. And that to me was so much better than selling my work in a gallery and having it end up in someone's home where no one would ever see it. So that kind of lit a fire in me. And I ended up um, continuing in the, in the fashion industry for about 12 years. And I made a jump from, you know, my own company to a, a smaller t-shirt company to a licensing company. And then I eventually landed at Old Navy. And Old Navy, I was designing t-shirts, but on a much, much larger scale. And when I was doing that, I realized that I loved um, I loved managing creative people because it was a lot like teaching. You were trying to kind of impress upon them how to advance in their career, what they needed to do, what they needed to develop, whether that that was design skills or their communication skills or their financial skills, acumen. And it was a lot like teaching. So I, that side jog was going from teaching in the fine arts to finding an avenue that felt a whole lot like teaching in the, in private industry. And so that was, is what kind of propelled me forward very quickly at Old Navy was that I found that sweet spot between teaching and artwork that could be used in commerce. I love that example. It's just one of those things where, like you said, you don't always know those webs and those connections and where things are going to take you. And as much as I'm a planner, as much as I'd love to plan, right? It's like sometimes you need to wait and see where opportunities are arising and how things kind of play out over time. So I'm curious, as you went through these transitions over time, like how did you sustain your own ambition or what kind of did you find continue to fuel your motivation? Well, you know, when you come from being a fine artist where you're scraping to put together rent every month, you know, financial gain was a serious motivator for me. And as I moved up the ladder in management at, you know, a large global fashion company, um, you know, that financial reward got greater and greater. And that's, that's a big um, ambition sustainer. But 
also, I've been a lifelong learner. My dad was a uh, English teacher and a journalist. My mom was an educator as well. And so I love learning. I love learning new things. And so one, I've had a couple great mentors in my life. Um, one was a managing director at an agency I worked at. One was my manager at Old Navy. And they were able to kind of see in me some aptitude or interest, I guess. And they were able to give me opportunities or challenges that forced me to learn something new, whether that was, you know, learning how to read financial statements, P&L statements, or whether that was doing, um, you know, performance reviews, or whether that was leading a cross-divisional project, whatever that looked like, they were able to challenge me at certain steps of the way that forced me to learn, forced me to grow. Um, and, that always fueled my my ambition and um and love of what i did do you have any advice for people if like i i feel like that comes up often where people will say you know you can get propelled by those leaders or managers who see something in you right and open up those doors and opportunities if people aren't as so lucky to have those people kind of stepping forward do you have any advice for how to either engage a sponsor or someone who can be a mentor or even to ask for those opportunities. Yeah, I, I very strongly recommend trying to find if you're in a, a you know a job situation, um, finding someone within your organization who you click with or whose approach and whose capabilities you respect and nurture a relationship with them and then finally kind of eventually come clean and ask them for help or guidance in kind of guiding you through the stages of your career at that organization. That's ideal is if you can get, if you can find yourself a mentor inside of the place that you work, if you can't, it's, I'm a huge, huge believer in mastermind groups, and I find that getting people together who have similar ambitions, similar goals, um, maybe in disparate industries, but who put their heads together to to become a better whole and to drive um, each other, hold each other accountable for goals, give each other inspiration on what they can do next. Um so masterminds or some sort of group of that nature outside of your job is another pathway for it. The one other thing I would say is, is that, it, you know, in many cases, people don't have either of those things available to them. And I've always, I was told this by one of my managers when I had an idea for something and it was a kind of a crazy creative idea. And she said, she said, you know what? Sometimes you just got to do what you think is right and ask for forgiveness later. And so I had, I had had this idea. There was this beautiful industrial building in, in um, downtown Brooklyn by the waterfront that the landlord of this loft space, huge block wide building had allowed graffiti artists to graffiti the entire ground level of this building all the way around it, it was in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And I was just blown away by the beauty of this thing. And so I photographed like two blocks of it and we had a very large format poster printer in our department at, at when I was at old Navy. And so I stitched together these photographs and I printed out basically a, you know, a hundred foot runner on either side of a long hallway that entered into the creative offices. And it was like, you were walking down this 
you know, this block of this, this incredibly long graffiti mural, it was going to cost money. It was going to take a lot of toner, you know, and it was also going to affect everybody who worked there because it was, it was decorating the space. And I just felt in my heart, it was going to be incredibly inspiring to people. So one weekend I got a couple of my designers and we just did this thing without anybody knowing about it. When everyone came in, they were blown away, but if I had tried to seek permission to do this thing and ask for, you know, the rights to use $500 worth of poster paper, et cetera, I might've, the idea might've been squashed. They might've said no, but so I rolled the dice and it went really, really well. Of course it could have gone the other way, but sometimes you just got to do what you think is right. And if it doesn't go your way, ask for forgiveness later. Yeah, that's great advice. It's, you know, taking those calculated risks, right? When you think like, I think this is a great idea and I can have a really big impact and it's mm -hmm. worth the potential slap on the hand, right? So. And if anything, even if you get slapped on the hand, what it does show people is that you have ideas and you have initiative and you will drive your ideas forward. And whether they agree with that particular idea or not, that impression of being ambitious and taking action is something that sticks with people. Yeah, I love that. Ideas and initiative, really great thing to demonstrate for in terms of your value to an organization. And it allows you to be creative too. I mean, it like it it gives you you, you give yourself license to nurture your own creative ideas and yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, the the la the latest transition you've made, which isn't too recent, but you know, you've been quite successful building your own business post the corporate world and we all know entrepreneurship isn't easy. When you look back now, what surprised you most about this journey of entrepreneurship and building your own gig? Like, what do you know now on the other side that you didn't know when you first decided to essentially go out on your own? Well, I didn't know anything. <laughs> I mean, really, I did a, I did a webinar recently on, on a, another subject, but I was talking about how completely unprepared I was for digital entrepreneurship when I left corporate life. I, I knew nothing about the skills, the techniques, the software, the processes that I needed to use and utilize to build my own business as a, as a solopreneur, because I put absolutely, I never learned or utilized any of those skill sets when I was in corporate. I'd also been operating at a very senior management level for decades. And so I had been incredibly hands-on off and not had to, you know, be in there with Photoshop and Illustrator and, you know, editing video and, and posting on social media or even writing content. And all of those things were things that were deeply necessary in order to build your own business. So when I came out, I like to say I was completely naked. I really like walked out of the doors and I was naked. I had to figure out like where the leaves were to put something on myself so I could start walking around and trying things. Um, and so I think that that was probably, that was probably the biggest um, aha when I came out of corporate was this realization that I had zero skill sets. Really, the only thing that I had was an understanding of branding, understanding of design, understanding of um, you know brand strategy and and how to build a brand from scratch. Because I'd done that a lot for clients. Um, these were big enterprise clients, but I knew the process that you went through to do that. 
So I just had to translate those very kind of um, uh, basic uh, precepts into something that was going to really work for me at the scale that I was working at now. And so that's actually one of the first things I did was I kind of looked at all those processes that these huge companies pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to have agencies execute and, and ask myself, how can I scale these processes down so I can use them to great effect to, my, to build my own business, but then also to help build the businesses of who my clients will eventually be, which are entrepreneurs and small to medium-sized businesses who would never in a million years be able to afford what you know, the PetSmarts and the National Geographics and the Chevrons in the world can afford. Um, and so, and I did that through b- building my own brands. Mm-hmm. And so, and then eventually kind of started to do that for clients. Right. Right. So when, um, what I loved about what you said is like, you knew nothing, but then you also said like, ultimately, but here's what I did know and how you've transferred that into what you're doing now. I'm curious what worked when in helping you to first get grounded? Cause I totally get that. So imagine you're like, I walked out naked. I, <laughs> I wasn't quite sure where to go and I needed to find those leaves. So what did you find to be helpful in getting grounded? So if there's other people that are like, yep, I'm ready to leave this corporate gig. I'm ready to get out on my own now. Like what advice would you have for them in terms of just that initial grounding stage? Yeah, I, well, when I left PepsiCo, I was, it was, you know, there were things, some things wrapped up in a number one, I was really kind of burnt out on, um, uh, from my work level at PepsiCo. But then I also had some stuff going on with my family. My dad was in the process of passing away. So there was a lot of kind of emotional turmoil going on inside as well. And so when I left, I felt like I really just needed to take some time off and and breathe and get myself healthy again. And when I did, after I did that for a couple months and um, spent those months with my dad, I, I engaged a coach and started to work through some really basic, you know, kind of like what color is your parachute sort of exercises where I tried to capture, you know, what I was interested in, what I'd like to do, what I didn't like to do, you know, values, personality aspects, um, and capture all those things in a series of different sorts of exercises and then work through it with that coach because it helped me. It was kind of like a more touchy-feely Myers-Briggs in a way. Um, And it really helped me kind of relook at my core principles from a, at a different point in time and also from a different perspective because I was kind of looking at them from like, what are these things really now? And, and what could I conceivably do with them? Where does my ambition lie? One of the things that I tell people that I coach is, you know, a lot of times, you know, when you're going to a career counselor in college or whatever, they say, you know, you got to follow your passion. What are you passionate about? Because if, if you follow your passion, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, passion is a very, very big word and it carries a tremendous amount of emotional weight. And so making the wrong decision about what your passion is can really kind of freak you out and sink you, right? So I try to tell people you should really follow and nurture what you're curious about. So I always put my antenna up for like, what am I curious about? What am I intrigued by? What do I want to learn more about? What do I want to go explore? And nurturing myself that way 
led me down some you know very interesting pathways one of which i know we're going to talk about which is the business that you and i started when we started to talk to each other right during this period of time mm -hmm. we kind of reconnected yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think you and I share this uh, feeling about passion. It's not like one can have them or you can't, but I kind of uh, bristle at this term or the advice of like, follow your passion. And I know I kind of advise like, instead, look, look at your purpose. Or I also suggest that people really follow their curiosity and that that's um, and in uh, your curiosities in the moment. So I think I think that that makes a ton of sense. I'm gonna I'm gonna get to kind of, um, you know, the next kind of steps, but I'd love to first just ask you two things about kind of what you've just brought up. One is around working with the coach. I'm curious how, because I remember you sharing with me kind of that you had done some work around like purpose and where you wanted to put your attention and also values and things like that. I'm curious how those kind of helped guide you or continue to in terms of even some of the things that you're putting your attention and energy towards right now. Yeah, I mean, they definitely do because I don't know that any of them were drastically new or had, you know, things had entirely gone away. But I think that I had kind of played out certain things I was interested in. Like I had really kind of played out my ambition of working with gigantic companies, of, you know, working on incredibly complex brand launches um, and managing incredibly large teams. You know, I mean, at the height of my time at Old Navy, I was overseeing five divisions with like 65 people. And that was, and that was an ego booster. And it was an ambition, you know, I had an ambition to do that. And I did it and I got there and I got the cash and prizes. And then the more I did it, you know, the more I kind of, you know, I, I kind of had been there and done that. And I realized that while I love nurturing and growing people, I didn't really need that kind of um, ego boost of knowing that all these people reported to me, or I had this huge org chart underneath me. That wasn't important to me anymore. So I love teaching people. I love, I still love people helping people grow, which was the core principle beneath all that. But I didn't need that, that kind of like the business card that proved it. And Again, same thing, working with the Fortune 100 companies that you know we've worked with, I didn't really need that feather in my cap anymore either because I had a portfolio now that was full of that kind of work. And so I didn't need to prove myself to myself in that regard anymore. So I was really able to kind of look, step back from that. And one of the things I want to mention, Kathy, is that when I did make that transition out of big corporate one of the one of the hardest things that i i had not put really any kind of thought into or any kind of stock in was what a huge emotional uh kind of watershed that was going to be in terms of my own self definition i mean i had defined myself by the companies i worked for the agencies i worked for the clients i had the people, the number of people I had reporting to me, my salary, my you know stock options, my business card, my title. You know, my title. When I when people ask me what I did at a cocktail party or something like that, and I could drop my title, it, it's it carries a lot of weight. Suddenly, when you go off on your own, you don't have any of that anymore. You don't have any of that kind of gravitas and weight around what it, you know what your title is, where it is that you work. You're you. You're naked, and 
that transition in losing that kind of like major piece of armor that I had was shocking to me and how long it took me to shift my, my own thought processes to be comfortable with that because I was really, really uncomfortable with it for a long time because I felt I had serious imposter syndrome. I had deep, deep imposter syndrome because I didn't have that business card anymore. And so I had to rebuild my own sense of self-worth and my own presence and my own brand that I owned from those, you know, ashes to an extent. Yeah. And it took a long time. Yeah. I really appreciate what you're talking about. And, um, you know, there are a couple of things I want to punctuate that you just shared. One is when I talk about right aspiration, which is one of the pillars of sustainable ambition, I think about how our satisfaction and our ambition changes and ebbs and flows over time. And I think what you were describing in terms of your corporate world experience, you just realized at a time like, I'm not satisfied by that specific work anymore. And my ambition does not have to be, nor do I want it to be managing 65 people anymore. It's just nothing wrong with it. You're just moving on to something else and you're looking for a different level of satisfaction and your ambition is different right now. So I love that. And then I, I totally appreciate, well, we've both kind of been in this circumstance. I think when people go through these transitions, you do have to think ahead a little bit. And, you know, you do have to start to think about how am I going to craft an identity for myself? You know, because we, we all often are using, it's very, you know, most of our society is built this way. It's not uncommon to use these external measures to give ourselves identity. Um, and so, you know, I, I may have to come back to our, we're jumping around, which is totally fine. But like what you're bringing up for me now is kind of like, is this what led then to, you know, you thinking about personal brand and, you know, when and how should people be even starting to think about this concept of personal brand? And what does that even, what does that even mean? It, what I think it means is you own your own real estate, you know, because when you're working for the man, you're building houses and real estate and value on someone else's property. Just like when you are building and, and I can equate it to, you know, building a presence on social media. When you build a presence on Twitter or a following on Twitter or on Facebook or on YouTube, you are building, you don't have access to those people's email addresses. You are building your recognition and your audience on someone else's platform who tomorrow could change the algorithm or just delete your account by accident or decide that you're not worthy. And all of that goes poof. So you have to be really careful about where you're building your buildings. And so building a personal brand to me is that you are establishing a presence, digital presence for the most part, and, you know, a, 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 a professional presence. It could be out speaking, so it's not necessarily just digital, but you're, you're building a presence for yourself that you own and that you are building equity in yourself, not equity in your clients or in the company that you work for. And you can do this after you leave, you know, your corporate working for the man gig, or you can do it while you're in it. And more and more people are starting to build personal brands while they are still working because companies, number one, are starting to appreciate the, um, 
the positive uh, kind of reflection that can happen when they have an employee of theirs who is establishing themselves as an expert in their field, and it's reflecting well on them as a corporation. And so the fact that companies aren't going, oh, you should never do that. You never should go out and speak. You never should, you know, have a website of your own. We have to okay all that. We got to run it through legal, whatever. Um, Making, trying to start to build some real estate of your own outside of their property is a really, uh, is a really smart idea. Do you have any advice? Like, because I know you and I have both done it and it can be a lot of work for somebody who is, you know, still has a full-time job. Do you have any advice on like, what's just one to two to three things that they should consider doing to start to build some type of presence or thought? And some people also come to me, they're like, I just don't like to write. So like, what should I do? And, you know, so this is a space I'm probably gonna explore a little bit more like advice for people around this, but I'm, I'm curious yeah. if you have a few thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some very basic things that you need to do. You have to establish you eventually want to build yourself a brand ecosystem. And so your brand ecosystem is going to start with you in the center of the spider. And then there are going to be a number of little orbs around you. And in the beginning, it starts off with maybe one or two. It could be your website and then your Twitter account, or it could be your website and your LinkedIn account. You want to have a website. You want to have some place that you can drive people to that you own. You own the URL. No one can take you away from it. You can gather email addresses there. You can publish content there. You can showcase whatever it is that you do professionally there. You can establish your own voice and have your voice come to life there. Website, number one. Doesn't have to be fantastic, right? Just start with something. You know, Wix, Squarespace, whatever it is. Um, the next is you want to become visible. Because I, I was on a YouTube Live today and I was telling the, the audience, I said, you know, it used to be like, in the way in the old days, you could build a website and everyone's like, wow, a website. And think people think now, you know, if I build my great portfolio website, if I build it, they will come. They don't come anymore, right? If you build it, it's going to be there, but you've got to drive people there. You have to get people to go there. And so the next thing to do is become visible on some other platform that could be LinkedIn, could be Instagram, it could be Pinterest, it could be uh, Facebook a podcast, some other platform, you don't have to be the one developing all of the content. You can start off very easily. You can start off by using your brain and your eye and how you discern what's of value by curating content. You can find great content out there and then reserve it up on LinkedIn with a few sentences that kind of kick it off for everybody. Hey, everybody, I found this amazing article on you know, how CEOs are dealing with COVID. And I thought it was really interesting because of blah, 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 blah. And then you link to the article that shows up in all of your network connections on LinkedIn's feed, and they may see some value in the fact that you found that for them. You can become the gleaner of great content from all over the interwebs and serving it up to the people who, you know, follow you or who you're connected to. That's a very, very easy way in is to just curate content. You can, you know, find inspirational quotes and like put a cool image on it in Canva, totally easy, and post it up on on LinkedIn or on um, on on Pinterest or something like or Instagram. 
you can start developing content in very, very simple ways, which isn't going to require you to write, you know, a 4,000 word blog post. But then you start to tiptoe into that. You start to tiptoe maybe into, you know, doing some tweets and putting out, you know, some points of view that are within the 244, I think it is, characters now. Um, and you slowly grow. I recommend that people try not to be everywhere at once, especially at the beginning. Pick a platform or two, show up there deeply and really well, and really learn it and really you know, maximize what you're doing on it before you start to grow your influence. And the one that you choose is also kind of important. You want to pay attention to who your audience could conceivably be and make sure that that's a platform that they're on. For instance, if you're a lawyer, and you want to like kind of get across to all the people who are, you know, lawyer coaches or something like that, you might not be wanting to post a bunch of salad in a mason jar images on Pinterest to get to your audience because that's not where they are and that's not what they're looking for. So you have to kind of think about, you know, where your audience is, how they're hanging out and what kind of content they like to see or consume. Yeah, all really clear, simple, like it simplifies things and it focuses people, right? So really great advice. And I, I love your point about curating and just this point that I don't, even for me, it's a great reminder that like curation can help you create a voice. You mm -hmm. really can create your voice simply by, just as you were saying, curating content and putting your spin on what you're taking away from that. So that's a, that's a really great reminder. Um, one of the things I wanted to come back to was like the timing of things a little bit, and this might come into our, our joint story, but you know, I'm curious, when did you know you needed or wanted to build something out on your own and that you were going to need to, you know, you were going to start to take this journey? Sure. When I, after I was working with the coach for a while, I started to just, I started to open my eyes and look for what was making me curious. And one of the things that kind of came to me was I really loved the resurgence of craft that I was seeing in America. So, you know, craft bags and handmade clothing and handmade shoes and, you know, people who were like small soap companies and things like that, products that had kind of personality and authenticity to them and weren't mass produced by P&G and, you know, put in CVS. And so when I started to think about that, I started to go, I wonder what it would be like to either work in one of these companies or, de or develop something like that. So I started uh, just reaching out and, and setting up informational interviews with companies that had, you know, large web presences or sold those sorts of products. And I, you know, the cool thing about companies like that is that usually they're pretty small and manageable. They're not the gaps of the world. And you can call up, you know, the CEO's office or the CMO's office and get an interview with them. You say, you know, I'd really love half an hour of your time. You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking about exploring this kind of world and I'd love to have a quick informational interview with you. And if you make sure that you uh, position it in that you're not going to sell them anything and you're not looking for a job and that you literally just want to talk to them just to find out more about what they do. People love talking about themselves. And so... I've never actually been turned down for an informational interview. And you, you know, you go in and you ask a bunch of questions about what they do. You see where they work, you know, kind of glean the experience of what it is you're curious about. 
And every one of those experiences builds to something else. So that's what I did at the beginning. I just kind of set up a whole bunch of informational interviews with people. Everything from people who had like mom and pop soap companies to, you know, a, someone in Brooklyn who had a fairly successful, you know, kind of leather bag company that was blowing up and just seeing what they did every day and whether they liked it and you know how they sold their stuff and how they developed it and what their lives were like it was it was fascinating so i love that example of just again following your curiosity and then a lot of people say like go and talk to people go and learn from people and just as you're saying a lot of people are willing to share <laughs> and talk about themselves more than you might think um so that's really great i'm curious that experience um how did you think it was going to work out before you started when you started on this journey and how did it really work out it's interesting i didn't know how it was going to work out uh, because I had decided when I left corporate to take a year off, I decided I was just going to explore and see what I was going to want to do and, um, or take some significant time off anyway. And that was when, and right when I was kind of in the middle of doing that was when you and I reconnected and you and I had worked together, um, a number of years before, four or five years before at a, at a agency and, we started having just, you know, kind of get to know you kind of networking friendship calls. And, you know, it serendipitously, you were starting to talk about the same things that I was starting to talk about or the, the, the sort of things that I was off doing and exploring. And that's when, you know, our, our two minds met and we started to play with the idea of maybe doing something like that on our own. And so, you know, that was kind of the, the kindling and the little match kind of came together. And that's when we started on, you know, our journey of developing our accessories company. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you want to share with folks how that sure. worked out and kind of what did you, I think we were just sharing earlier before we got started, like we had a little bit of similar shared learning from that experience. And I just think it's helpful to share in this uh, because it, um, I think people need to know that there is in pivots and transitions, you know, you're just doing that. There is a learning phase, there's a growing phase. Um, so I'm curious if you could share just a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'd be, it's funny. I don't know that I've ever heard you tell the story or characterize it in the way that you would. So it'd be interesting to know after I say this, whether you have a different opinion of <laughs> like what happened. But, um, well, you know, we started talking about it and we started to play around. We started to send each other, you know, keynote decks and with, uh, you know, ideas of, of, you know, products and names and kind of focuses of, of positioning of brands and just kind of general, you know, spitball kind of brainstorming sorts of, of, of decks. And we started to see where there's similarities and where there weren't. We started to have conversations around that. And then I think at one point we just said, well, let's, let's do something together. And that started off our brand building journey. And you and I have built a number of brands for other companies in our agency work. And so both of us, and we've worked closely together as strategist and, and head creative. And so we took, we kind of took those roles again. And, uh, but we were both 
feet on the ground. We were both boots on the ground. Like we knew we had to get together and have a brainstorming session and get stuff on paper and, you know, build a business model canvas from scratch and the positioning statement and go through naming and all of the things that you do in branding. And simultaneously, I was kind of exploring the creative side of it, you know, the name, the brand identity, what that might look like, how that might come to life. And then together we started to think, well, what are the products going to be? What are we actually going to sell? So, you know, we went to trade shows for specialty retail products. I flew to San Francisco. We had a brainstorming session, you know, working out strategy. And I think the really interesting thing about this for me and what was what really lit the fire and led me to starting my own agency about a year later was. I had been so hands-off for so long that suddenly I was very hands-on. I was back in Photoshop and Illustrator. I was photo, I was photographing products. I was doing photo retouching. I was building websites. I was building social media presences and banners and, you know, uh, and imagery as we were building this brand. And in doing that very hands-on, it rekindled my love of what I had been doing for so long, but at this incredible distance. And I think also what was exciting about it was that I was doing it with someone that I really, you know, loved and respected. And we fed off each other in a really kind of synergistic way. And we were both sustainably ambitious in driving this thing forward. Um, but, you know, we were like, we were getting our hands dirty in every single aspect of this from copywriting to, you know, architecting the website. And, and going to trade shows and figuring out what the product was going to be. And doing all that so hands-on was really energizing. You know, it was like, it was so exciting to see it come to life and to build it from the, totally from the ground up. And, but, it, but it was our real estate. It was our building. It was what we owned. We weren't building it for someone else. And in doing that, you know, because it was ours, I think both of us brought almost a stronger passion for it. And, and stronger opinions for it um, than we might have even for other clients that we worked for. And so, and in doing that, in building that brand together and then launching it and starting to see it actually, you know, manifest itself and work as a business machine, I realized how much I loved building brands again. And I loved building the scale of brand that we built. Because we really saw it come to life. We had a hand in every little piece of it coming to life. And that was what brought me back to the realization that I like building brands. You know, I just don't like building them the way I was building them before at the scale I was building them before. I want to do it in a different way for a different, you know, kind of set of, of client. Um, but I had this, I also had this, because we had taken this huge, deep, expensive branding methodology and applied it to our own brand, I had suddenly a case study for how I could do this for other people. And that was the other thing that made me super excited was that I could take this really strong branding and strategy methodology and, and apply it to small to medium-sized businesses and let them really feel and experience the power that can bring when it's something they'd never be able to afford in a million years from an agency. A yeah. big agency, I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, so much of what you shared, like, of course, I can concur with in terms of like great partnership, love working with you and the um, 
being able to work with somebody who you work so well with and kind of feed off of is, is always a joy. And I think we were talking about this earlier, just that one of the key things I took away. So even though we decided, you know, we did launch it, but we decided to also sunset it and we each pivoted, but each of us got tremendous amount of learning on so oh, yeah. many levels in terms of either how do you build a digital brand to, you know, um, how do you launch a business to what are we passionate about right now or what are we curious about right now? And then where do we take this from here? And so I, I love just talking about this example because it just I just want to demonstrate to people like there are steps in the journey. It goes back to where we started the conversation. Where is that web and where is that web taking you? And then where might you go next from there and still push you forward? And look, you have your own agency now. It's successful. You have a lot of people who are engaging with you from a content and knowledge expertise perspective, et cetera. So, you know, I think it was a great step in the journey. I would think uh, you probably would concur. So, Oh, absolutely. And it was funny when you brought the web thing back up again, because I was thinking while we were in it, we might've thought that this was a ladder moment where we were actually heading toward the center of the web, but actually in retrospect, it was a serious straight right angle side jog. But then the next turn was straight to the center of the web. It, like it propelled us. We were moving and learning. But at the moment, we thought we were going in a particular direction. But then in retrospect, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You can see what these things were um, once they're in the rear view mirror. Yeah, exactly. Well, Philip, I could talk with you forever. You know that. <laughs> and I reach out to you often to be able to brainstorm together. Um, but we are almost out of time. So thank uh, you so much for being with me. Um, just to close things out, I'm wondering if there's a final piece of advice you'd like to leave our listeners with today. I, the one thing that I tell everybody is my, my personal manifesto, my mantra that I like to say is dare to suck. Because when you've had a great long career and you have, you know, a certain level of accomplishment, it's very hard to suck at things, you know, because you've you've gotten really good at everything that you do. And when you're starting something new, you got to suck a little bit. Like you have to go, you, you can't, I use this analogy, you've heard it before, but you know, if you want to learn how to play tennis, you've got to go out to the, you, you know, you can buy a great tennis outfit. You can watch a great tennis, bunch of tennis videos. You can go to some cool matches. You can buy an awesome racket, get the best tennis balls in the world. But until you get out there in the court and start hitting balls, like over hitting the net and over the backstop and all that sort of stuff, you're not going to learn tennis. So when you're starting off on your own and starting your own thing, you have to give yourself license to suck because the first 10 things that you do are going to suck. And then someday you're going to hit the ball over the net and someday you're going to, you know, do an ace serve and it's going to take some time, but you got to give yourself the license to be bad. I love that feedback or that advice. So thank you. Uh, Philip, where can people find you to keep in touch? I know there are a few places, but what do you want to focus on? And is there anything that we can do for you? Sure. philipvandusen.com is my hub. It's the center of my brand ecosystem where you can get to everywhere else that I am from there. Um, but one of my my major channel is YouTube. So if you go to Philip Van Dusen, search Philip Van Dusen on YouTube, um, I'm going to pop up and I've got, you know, over 
250 videos on branding and design and entrepreneurship that you can just sort through and um, give a lot of what I know away for free. So go have at it. And if you're interested and want to reach out for either coaching or guidance or, or, um, or brand or strategy work, just reach out to me at philipfandusen.com. That's great. Thanks, Philip. And I'll capture that in the show notes for everyone as well. So it's been great talking with you. Like I said, I could, I could keep going, but I know <laughs> <laughs> we need to end. So thank you again for being with me today and sharing all your insights. Thank you, Kathy. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Ambition Podcast. I hope you take away at least one learning or inspiration from today's conversation. Find more inspiring interviews and get show notes for this episode at sustainableambition.com slash podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips, guides, and tools by signing up for Sustainable Ambition Forum, my twice monthly newsletter. Sign up at sustainableambition.com slash subscribe. And remember, it's not about finding work-life balance. It's about building work-life resilience. Thanks again for joining me. Speak with you next time.